Uh, welcome to the Rugby Report Card. Uh, I'm here with our usuals, James and Richard, but we have a special guest this week. Uh, we've got from The Australian, Jess Halloran. Um, and Jess um, just wrote an article today that I saw on uh, the Giddo Law. Um, and Jess also uh, was the journalist behind uh, the podcast, The Breakdown, that I'm sure many people listen to and I listen to myself. Um, Walkley Award winning. So you're bringing a hell of a lot of credibility uh, to a show which has never really had much in the past. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much. Very kind. <laughs> for joining us, Jess. How do, how do I do it in the introductions? Anything I should like to add? I oh, know. It's, yeah, it's always a little bit embarrassing when you hear those things read out about yourself. But anyway, <laughs> it's sort of, um, yeah. No, it was a very great introduction. Thank you, Blake. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. I'm a bit disappointed, Blake. Like, James and I normally get a bigger introduction than that. What's going on, man? Yeah, we even get asked how we're doing. We're just swept straight under the rug this I know. time. We've got a special guest. You don't care about us anymore? I'm fine, man. What are we all, what are we all drinking here? I didn't, get the, I didn't get the wine memo. No, that's just me, Jess. I've, it's, it's, a, it's a COVID habit that won't go away. Um, so I don't think anyone else is drinking. You're, you're more than welcome to grab a glass and join me in that. I've got a bit of hydrolyte. It, you know, I sort of, you know, I throw myself into like post-Sydney, you know, lockdown excitement. So, yeah, I'm recovering from the weekend. <laughs> That'll be me tomorrow morning, Jess. Um, well, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll jump in and, and we're just going to talk um, anything you'd like to talk about. But can you tell us a little bit about the the podcast? Because um, I did listen and um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, episode one, eh, Campo. Uh, but the rest of it I, I, I absolutely loved and, and I found... Um, just the the way we frittered away the cash after 2003 is just such an amazing story. Yeah. Um, and I know looking at the World Cup in 2027. So, what are your big big ticket takeaways from that from that podcast? Yeah. Well, I guess I came to the podcast as uh, somebody who'd grown up in. I grew up in country Victoria, so rugby, you know, obviously wasn't pe- wasn't people's first love down there. But the Wallabies had really started to grip the hearts of the nation through the 80s and the 90s. And that team that came through and the likes of Nick Farr-Jones, um, Johnny Eels, all those big superstars. And then for me, I, I, I really remember them. And, and, you know, going back to Campo and who wants to, be a, wanted to, wants to be a Wallaby, that famous Channel 10 ad, they had really played their heart, way into the hearts of the nation. And, when I moved, I moved up here to Sydney in 2002 and 2003 I was fortunate enough to cover the Rugby World Cup and so that was obviously this incredible high point and it was also a time I was working at the Sydney Morning Herald at the time as a young sports reporter and uh, I remember sitting next to the likes of Greg Groudon and, and, you know, him fielding you know, phone calls from various player agents and sources and I vividly remember the day that they were going to the Waratahs were talking about poaching Andrew Johns from uh, Rugby League, you know. It was quite, it was really quite sensational. And then over the years to see it sort of just disappear almost and, and the Wallabies obviously really losing badly and sinking to that world number seven, what, in 2018, that was like it was, it was quite a fall. Like there really hasn't been a sporting code that has really taken such a hit. And so I came from it. No, I am 
I didn't grow up in a rugby household, but I grew up with a keen interest in the Wallabies, I would say. And, and I just wanted to know what happened. So like of any good journo would, I just started asking questions. And here we are today, I guess, and, and we're seeing the Wallabies um, brand trying to repair itself. And I think there's some good leaders there, absolutely, at this point in time who are, are doing their best. But there's also some things to iron out in the culture, isn't there? I, I, I'll let the other boys jump in, but there's so many um, interesting jumping off points there. And, and I think that that story echoes so many Aussies. Um, James and I went to school together. You know, rugby union was was our life, but there was a battle with the other kids at like league. Uh, but, you know, in the early 2000s, you could win the argument because rugby was so awesome. And then we left school and, and joined club rugby uh, and went through mm. those cycles and, and we just watched it die. Um, and, and like it, honestly, it was, it's quite an incredible thing. I guess what I wanted to ask is this current resurgence or this revival that we're going mm. through now, is there anything, and I really hope the answer is something here, but is there anything about the current revival, um, or the current crop of people that you yarn with to sense that it is going to be different? Um, this is a bit of a breaking of the cycle, or are we going to go back to the tribalism of, of club rugby versus the States? the states versus the country, you know, is there anything that you sense that we are on a different trajectory? No, I think under Hamish McClellan's lead is I think it's the new era. I really do. And I think we've sort of seen, I think what we've seen sort of happen over the last week, for example, like the, the game has committed this massive act of kind of Mukarevi, um, Sean McMahon situation, like, they were riding high, you know, won five tests in a row. These guys were at the, the centre of, of, it, of it all. But you've still had some massive kind of miscommunication in the middle where you've got players feeling like they've been told they will never play for the Wallabies again or, or you know, allegedly being told that it's unlikely that they'll play for the Wallabies again if they don't, you know in Quake Cooper's case, commit to super rugby, which is fascinating, right? But I don't think from what I know now that that is what, you know, Hamish wants or or um, Phil Wall wants their players to feel. And, that, and now there's sort of this massive kind of repair work going on. And I wrote a story on Friday in The Australian which quoted Coda Nasser's account extensively with his conversation with the high the coaching director, Scott Johnson, where he felt that it was, Quaid, you must play uh, super rugby or your chances of playing for the Wallabies, again, are next to none. So I think that Scott Johnson would dispute that version of the conversation, but he hasn't gone on the record yet, so we'll see. But I think there's still creases to be ironed out here, isn't there? And Christy Doran today in The Australian reported that they were looking to really reduce the size of the high performance department that they feel it's over, you know, it's overstocked at the moment. And and I think you'll see that cut back. And like I was saying to you boys before, we've seen match payments for the Wallabies more than halved um, down to say around $4,000 for some players. And there's, there's massive cutbacks going on. And I still think it's to come in high performance, but I think there's hope. I think if you see the addition of Quay Cooper and, and Samu's return and and the, the, for the first time in a long time, I think it, it had really gripped the, the, 
the game had gripped and the team, I would say, had gripped the country again for a moment. It definitely feels like that. It's hard to dispute when an athletic career is so fleeting, right? Um, and to hear that they're taking match payments to come and play for the Wallabies and don that gold is really cool to hear. And that's the kind of stuff that I guess we as fans can proper get behind. Like when I hear that, I just get even more jazzed for them. Now, the Super Rugby, I just don't think it has any leg to stand on. Mm. Um, it was a great competition this year, but it's something that he's done. It's an experience that he knows really, really well. He could bring a lot to that, but for someone who's trying to still fall in love and stay in love with the game, you've got to sort of reinvent your day-to-day job. Um, I, I sort of feel for them in that scenario and, and the pressure they must be put under to go and show up at the Rebels just so he can fulfil his lifelong dream and, and commit to the Wallabies. It, it's harsh. Mm, and I think you've got to look at the economic reality too. I mean, the game is no longer in a position like that. Sure, they were throwing cash at the likes of Andrew Johns back in the mid two thousands, but and and there were huge paychecks. Obviously, you know, remember like them luring luring across the likes of Wendell and Lottie and all that. But those days, fifteen years later, you could uh, make the argument that Joey would be a good addition to that squad. Yeah, totally. Now it hasn't aged. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have a role. Totally. Can I ask a, just a question to all of you? Do you reckon this is? What what has this done to public perception? And we'll get into more of the, the specifics in a minute, hopefully. But everyone was riding on a high and everyone was loving the fact of Wallabies. Do you think the, the average punter is paying enough attention uh, to this? Uh, can I jump on that, Richard? I think off postseason has kind of helped, helped a little bit because even us as tragic fans, you're catching a bit of an article here or there and you're like, fuck, who do I blame? Who am I angry at here? Is this Rennie's fault? Is this Rugby Australia stuffing it up again? Is this Quade Cooper being selfish? Is this Samu Krevi being selfish? Oh, God, who do I get angry at? I'm not really sure. I can't make sense of this. It just feels like a colossal fuck-up from all that momentum we had. Your average Coles and Woolworths shopper, they they don't know the names who are behind the decisions. They just blame Rennie. It's Rennie's fault. but, But I think you could argue... Samu and Quaid cut through in terms of um, some sort of public profile. Um, I think when you look at those teams, if you said to the average punter, who could you name? I think at the, off the back of this season, they were, they were two blokes with a bit of momentum. Um, so who can we blame, Jess? You know what? If you go into the Instagram posts and you, and you dive into the cryptic messages that the captions hold, the names are there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to guess who to blame, Jess, and then you tell us. Richard, who do, who do we blame? Uh, well, Quaid is hurt right now. He's hurt. His Instagram page says he's hurt, so we can't blame him, surely, and he's the Messiah right now, so we can't blame him. Or let's just, I don't know, let's, maybe I should go to Aldi and ask the regular man or woman that's there, uh, but let's blame, oh, let's blame Scott Johnson. Just let's, let's go right to the top. Let's blame him. No reason. Let's just blame him. Are we getting warm, Jess? Oh, I think you are. I think if you um, read Georgina's column, Georgina Robinson's column in the Herald today, and and Christie's column today, you know the common name in that the, both of those pieces is Scott Johnson. And, and how much are they paying him again? A lot, a lot, a lot of money. Seven hundred bucks a week for food. <laughs> but look, you know this is this is professional sport, and 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 these people feel the heat, don't they? But he is particularly close to Dave Rennie. Um, there is talk around the fact 
that he's seen as a really, really valued you know, member of staff for the Wallabies. So who knows what will happen? His contract is up in December regardless. Uh, Jess, I know what will happen. See you, mate. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah, <laughs> We need to save some coin here, boys. Come on. Thanks, you. Um, I guess could I ask you, though, do, do you think that um, something has to give with these international players? Because the Wallabies as a brand still got credibility. Um, Super Rugby as a brand, for, for us three, we're watching every minute of every game coming on yep. here and yarning about it, but but people aren't. You know, they, they're lucky to get 10,000 out there. Mm. Um, mm. Does something have to give? Will we be able to keep, you know, 30 world-class players in Super Rugby Australia or, or do we have to move to a more flexible, agile model with these players? Yeah, and I, I think Phil War's comments in the paper today and, on my, and Hamish's the other day too, there is an acknowledgement that you showed Gitto's law, as it was, doesn't work for the modern-day game. I think just blow it up completely, you know, rather than having, you know, tiny little clauses that lets people in and out again. I think you probably just need to ditch it, but that's probably not going to happen um, and they'll just keep on manoeuvring around it whichever way they like. Uh, so it is going to be like soccer. It is like soccer. Like I think that it is like soccer now. I mean, Samu Karevi's gone back to Japan and he is our best player and he's not going to go on the spring tour. He's not on the spring tour. And the time is now. It is now soccer. <laughs> All our best players are going to go overseas most likely where they will make a good chunk of cash these guys who are over in Japan are all on around a million dollars and that's where they will make their money. As we know, being a professional sportsman, you only have a small window, you put your body on the line and your head and this is where we are and this is what, you know, previous administrations have created this situation. It's It's been a long, slow decline and and it's, yeah, it's disappointing. Can I ask, Jess, is, does, that, does that hurt you, though, inside, though, the fact that you're not going to watch your, um, the best players week in, week out? Is that, is, that, is that a hurt, the brand as well as you as a, as a lover of the game? Yes, of course. Of course it does. Of course you want to see, you want to be able to go down, hopefully, to the new stadium here at Moore Park and, and, and watch the best players run out for the Waratahs like we did in the 2000s. But I just say, I've watched the Waratahs this year. There's no best players right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Waratahs. It's all right. I, I wear, yeah, I, I, I wear my shirt. The other two, the other, the other two beside me have no sympathy. No, no sympathy here. <laughs> they can burn. I guess just back to your point about, um, you know, becoming like soccer, there is some bright side to this because I think one of the things that I find fascinating about the other sports that I'm into, American sports and even soccer in itself, and, and you being a journalist, like there's this whole new narrative that's now created when things like this are now occurring. You know, there's a story in the relationship between Japanese clubs and Australian clubs. There's a story in this club's willing to pay this much money to get this person for this game. And, and that stuff like that generates interest. I find that sports business side um, hugely interesting to read about and to be privy to and sort of anticipate the changes and, and what could occur and what might not occur, occur. And we sort of saw that with too long. If you rewind the clock sort of five, five to eight years, like we saw things sort of occurring and um, that was feeding positive, 
you know, any press is good press, but positive press and just sort of rugby when people are interested on how Ben Barber is going to go at Toulon and things like that. But to go back to the point about Reg 9 and whether you enforce it or not, it's, it was quite clear, though, if you went to a European club, if there was a, uh, a window that they would release their players and there was an opportunity to come back, there just maybe needs to be an improvement in communication between the Japanese clubs or whatever, but there just needs to be a, a clearer line of access to those players if they go if they go overseas. Whether it's you know at the beginning that they're not going to be available for the spring tour or not, because it just seems to be that lack of communication. And if that is improved upon, then maybe then all the players do go overseas and it, and it, and it makes it better. But as I say, it just needs to be improved upon. It sounds like we're all sort of pro, you know, the ghetto law and getting these guys back. That's all well and good until we're losing 80-0 every week to the Crusaders. Um, I, I wonder if the super rugby cycle <laughs> changes our perspective a little bit on that. But I think for now, I tend to agree. Who's driving these negotiations? You know, fr- from our side, we just read the narrative that it's this player's loyal to the country or this decision had to be made and and, and, and we buy what they're selling us. Um, but is, uh, is it player managers driving these discussions? I know there was... Um, you know, there's some there's some strong player managers out there. There was a good article recently on one of them, and and the negotiations and the and the willingness. I, I can't remember that article well enough. You know, what are those inner workings? What's doing? Well, that, I think Christy Doran wrote that article too on um, Anthony Picconi, who is Samu mm. Garebi's manager. And yeah, well, these guys are their advocates, and it took a lot of a negotiation to get Coda Nasser to talk. Like, it's not like he just called me. I mean, obviously, I've got a good relationship with him. He used to manage um, Anthony Mundine and obviously he manages Sonny Bill. But he was so moved and so perplexed by what he felt was Scott Johnson's, you know, trying to force Quaid's hand or guilt him into staying here. That's his version of events. It's not Scott Johnson's version of events. But they're, dri- they're driving the best deals for their players and they want also, I think, to the commentary from the likes of Andy Marinos didn't help earlier in the week where it was sort of suggested that that these players had promised to go but then they reneged. The, I mean, and that's as a fan, right? That that was the narrative that, that we swallowed up and it kind of felt like, oh, chasing the dollars again, which we would all do, let's be honest. But as the passionate Wallaby supporter, you know, you're meant to bleed gold. Um, how dare they? And I almost turned on them like I did all the Reds players. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, I think that's the thing there is that that's not the players' version of events as I understand it. It was there was no. I've sent an email absolutely, and I've put it in writing. I will be there for the spring tour. That was not the case. That is what has been suggested to me that they would never really, they'd never wholeheartedly committed to going. Yes, yeah, so, so if I get this right, Quaid offered to basically train with the team and Samu was, you're in Australia, we've lost Hunter, will you come down and, and fill in for a week? How, it just turns out that Quaid was the missing ingredient and Samu's the best player in the country and then the narrative changed to we expect you to, to play for Australia week in, week out. Yes, absolutely, that's it. And I think, I mean, Quaid's return's fascinating, right? Like he's here. <laughs> I interviewed James O'Connor after Quaid had arrived back and then they told they said he was going to be training with the team. And, and James O'Connor had really talked up this sort of personal transformation of Quaid in Japan, that he had become 
almost like a new person. And I mean, I interviewed Quade later and he said the same thing, that he'd gone through all this personal growth and maturity, didn't hold any bad blood towards anybody anymore and he was just here having a crack. And for him to actually get on and play and then kick a winning, you know, you know, win the game against the World Championships was stunning, like absolutely sensational. Like what would you have written it? Could you? Like, really? It was unbelievable. What a narrative, eh? Richard wasn't that impressed, but yeah. Oh, really? I was, uh, I was on your train of thought, but apparently I was wrong. Jess, there's been a constant theme. Yeah, I was, I was wrong. Oh. So, yeah, you were wrong. Me, me, me and James yeah. love Quake Cooper. But just to let you know, an award-winning journalist has just agreed with my, uh, my sentiments that it was surprising and you couldn't have read it. But <laughs> no, we'll, we'll play on, boys. Don't worry. That's not, that's not how I heard it. <laughs> no, I think we did. Hey, you know, a bit... Richard, are you the Waratahs fan? I am, yes, for my sins, unfortunately, yes. I mean, fortunately, sorry, slip of the tongue there, sorry. All right, yeah, yeah. Well, I was chatting to somebody today who was saying that um, they were talking about, uh, before he went to Japan, talking about Quaid going to the Tars. What? But obviously, yeah. That is a crazy thought. Not not now, but like back, you know, after he's exiled from, um, you know, uh, the Reds after Brad Thorne. Yeah. Sent him off to rugby. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of entertaining going on to the Tars, but didn't happen. Oh, that's such a shame. Oh, look, as a non-Tars fan, I had the visions of Samu Karevi going back to the Tars, even just and build this team with all of these names. And I'm going to be frank, the, the, the talk's on Quaid, and rightfully so. He, he was brilliant, and I love him. Um, but... Let's be honest, he, he actually is replaceable in terms of James O'Connor and the Cropper guys were coming through. We've got depth at 12. We don't have a second Samu Karevi. So what are the chances of Samu Karevi ever coming back? I, I've shut the door on Quaid. I've pushed on. But Karevi, please don't break my heart. Oh, coming back to the Wallabies? Yeah, Samu Karevi, it, it, has that horse bolted or they just keep tweaking the clauses so he's at a World Cup? I think they they might have to build a bridge to rugby. Uh, I think uh, his post was the most sort of emotional post on Instagram post after um, all this saga, him saying he was heartbroken, words like hurt. And there was a suggestion he'd never come back in, in his comment to if this is my last game, yeah. Well, that, that's what basically, from my understanding, that's what all these, it was indicated to these guys. I wrote a column on the weekend that it was sort of suggested just, yeah, that this could be it. That's so crazy to think about. You jump on a flight to Japan just thinking you're ripping five on the trot and then see Matt. Was that just someone, was that just someone being a hard ass over negotiations and it got out of hand? Or is there some reality to that? No, I I don't know. I think we'll find out in time. I think we'll find out in time um, what exactly went down. And I think Coda Coda's version is very enlightening for me. And if Scott Johnson's yet to go public, then why I have to go with Coda's version of mm. events? Because mm, that's, that's the only version we've got. Is there a, Rennie looks like a good Bob. He looks like a people person. Is there a chance you just throw Johnson under the boss and say Rennie wanted nothing to do with it? They're, they're very good friends. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's so that's the, not going to work. No. But it does seem like Rennie's got the jawline to get things done. Like it's not a jawline you disagree with. I'm definitely not disagreeing with Rennie. 
He's got the guitar. He's got it all happening. He's got a sensitive side, you know. He can he can level out. Yeah. He knows when to when to turn it on. Um, ultimately, though, is Jim's read right? Is this drama? Is this narrative? Does it keep rugby in the front page, or is this uh, another stain on? Oh, they 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 fucked it up again. I think it's. I mean, I just think it's a big wrinkle that needs to be ironed out, and and we'll see that unfold in the next couple of months, I guess. Does winning fix it? I was just about to say, win three on a spin and nobody remembers it. Yeah. It, it almost justifies how they treated him if they win, you know, because people will forget about it, put it under the rug if you notch up some big victories, which and they will be big victories in the north, um, which which you don't want. You don't want. You don't want them swept under the rug because, you know, it, it sets the standard for when things like this occur again. Of which I agree, yeah. but we win three on the spin. I'll be coming on here saying they're traitors. We never wanted them. Uh, we lose. <laughs> I want Johnson and Rennie's head and I want Quaid for captain. Yeah. So yeah. results will determine my opinion on this one. Let's be honest. If you lose three in a row, there won't be a podcast for four weeks, boys. <laughs> That's a fair shit. Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, Wales looked trash. Sure, no, that's a win. Wasn't that a yeah, poor performance? Second string slightly too, mate. So. Well, what are you doing, man? You know, the All Blacks come once a year, if that. <laughs> Out of the international window, mate. So what? Uh, disrespect. <laughs> Speaking of the Tars, Jess, have they signed, and I mean anyone, for next year? Because right now I'm thinking of getting a player manager because I watched <laughs> them last year. Because <laughs> all on the Instagram and Twitter, they all give up this big like we're big news, and then it's not really that big news. It's I'm a big little, news we've signed, and so I've never yeah, heard of it. we've re-signed someone. Yeah, <laughs> come on, guys, <laughs> excite me. Or, or is it a case of the Queensland rebuild, and, and they're genuinely giving themselves five years? No, we're going to go to this. We're going to go to this centralized system, and then all the good players can move to the Tars. No, that's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, what do you? How do you guys feel about um, private equity? You know, the likes of uh, Twiggy coming along and 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 buying the place. Oh, I guess I'll, I'll be frank as a fan um, and and as a person who's just as interested and passionate about club rugby. Mm. Sounds great. Um, I just think it, it makes common sense to me. Gets the best players. Um, gets the headlines. Twiggy Bayless out, please, mate. But. On the other hand, I don't really know. I don't really understand the argument. So for me, it's a do we want to keep our players? Do we want to stay on TV? Well, yeah, let's let's do it. I'll do a deal with the devil to make that happen. Um, so I, I, I guess I don't see the other argument for strong enough and it sounds like an archaic um, holding on to something that, that has passed a long time ago, but but I'm, you know, willing to say I'm very misinformed. Um, I don't know about the other boys here. Well, I just imagine, or I put it down to, that Rugby Australia would be sacrificing some rights that they have. They'd be giving up some of the um, liberties that they can do what they like and sign who they like once Twiggy gets involved because he would just do business completely differently, I imagine, and, and, and fight for what he believes it should be. So that's where the tension appears to be for me. Like, once again, I've got no idea. But that's what it seems like. And I guess following it for this long especially in the super rugby format it's so it's changed heaps in the last three years covid and everything else um uh, any change at this point i feel like it's just nestled into a nice little system with the super rugby au the trans tasman obviously was you know horrific it it was not what anyone was expecting and long term that's not going to be a good thing for us um so if there's some way because we have this 
indebted relationship with New Zealand. We just have to play them a million times a year and lose to them a million times a year. It's just going to happen. And there's no answer to this question where they're not involved. Um, so if we need to get better, if we need to perform better, because results, like we were saying, results gets people glued to the TV or competition at least gets people glued to the TV. It's the idea of the potential of winning, which is no longer there. I mean, it's been stamped out for so long. Um, I guess with his format, is there a guarantee with that? Is he bringing something? I mean, you can have these players, but I've seen all these players play for Super Rugby teams and get and get walloped around in the last five, six years. What's he want, Jess? Is he just happy? Is he just got that much freight? He doesn't care, um, and he just really likes rugby. Oh, he loves the game. He loves the game, but he wants um, an AFL style commission. Um, he wants constitutional change. And he won't touch it or be or do anything around it unless that's happening. But then you've also got sort of Silver Lake circling. I think that was another article I wrote earlier this year. So you do have a couple of. It's not just Twiggy who's interested. Um, but look, I think this is a game that's what was almost twenty million, twenty-two million dollars in debt last year. So yeah. Need all the help you can get. Oh, I was going to say, is the 2027 World Cup the last Hail Mary of the old guard to, to refinance the game until they concede? Yeah. I, I Look, I think if they can secure that, that's amazing. Like that is that, uh, you know, you've seen it with Brisbane, us winning Brisbane in 2032. All of a sudden there is this excitement around the Olympics again and Tokyo kind of really... I felt like sort of reinvigorated the Australian sports. Time zones, lockdown, it was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was unreal. It was so good. Um, So I feel that the Rugby World Cup can do the same. I don't know where, you know, you guys were all probably babies when the 2003 World Cup was on, but, you know. Richard's Richard's very old. Definitely not, Jess. I'm very old. And um, it was was a very good year from my point of view. I'm definitely in the minority out of the four of you, five of us that are here, but um, I love that year. So thanks for asking. I was too young for it to count, so it doesn't really count. I remember your old man (laughs) driving us down to Wollongong, Jim. I remember we could only get the tickets to Uruguay. Tonga v. Canada. Canada, I remember it. And we would go to all of them. We didn't get the biggest game we ever went to. It was with you and your old man, Scotland, Fiji. Thou thou down the wing. Yeah, where Rupeni thou thou down the wing. It was epic. So you're right. If it comes, I mean, they're they're imprinted on me for a lifetime. Um, And you're right about Brisbane. I looked at my son who's 18 months old. I was was, oh, he'll be, how old will he be then? That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good, isn't it? It's really great. It's fantastic. And so I think that's what this game needs here. And they don't need it to go to the state or, you know, whoever else, like, they need it here. And and the Southern Hemisphere needs needs another World Cup, you know. I mean, we saw how great Japan was too. And probably leave South Africa out for a bit. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's worth it, you know. I mean, it's it, it's important is what I mean. Do you, you like her chances? <laughs> In 2027? Yeah, yeah, I think so. No, not not of doing well, of getting it. You reckon we're going to get it? You reckon it's a sure thing? Yeah. Oh, I don't think it's no. I don't think it's a sure thing. But you know, having Scott Morrison throw eight million dollars at the bid team and and the government's heavily involved in this, so hopefully, how does it work? Is it just who's got the prettiest PowerPoint presentation? How do you get it? Because <laughs> I do a I do a mean keynote these days. <laughs> 
doesn't, <laughs> doesn't, is it is it the canvas subscription? I don't know. I don't think it's like the Olympic move, movement was in what the eighties, where there was all the all the dodgy deals and, and amazing yeah. dinners and private jets and things like that. That's not really happening. <laughs> Can I ask? Just we're talking about the Super Rugby and and what it is. Hmm. Are you excited about the next year's version of it? Because I think for me, I'm I'm, I'm excited to see uh, Moana Pacifica and and Fiji Jura being yes. added in. I think that's going to add an an extra element to the competition um, than what we've had before. I love the fact it creates the mm-hmm. diversity mm-hmm. Um, and, and mm-hmm. so much, um, and just culturally as well as just sportingly. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, it, that is something that Coda Nasa actually raised in the um, in the podcast, in the first episode, that Sonny Bill Williams, he felt like Sonny Bill Williams had the chance to play for the Wallabies at one point but didn't. But further to that, he spoke about he feels like they're, you know, there needs to be more Pacifica players in sort of coaching roles and leadership roles around the um, code. And I think having, you know, a Pacifica team in the um, competition is fantastic and it's just what we need. And, I mean, you go out uh, specifically out to uh, Western Sydney and, uh, you know, there's an an awesome um, nursery out there of uh, Polynesian players, girls and boys, you know, young teenagers just really wanting to represent and, and having teams like that would be amazing. I guess to, to build on that, our experiences, um, well, I guess James and I went to a private school uh, and, you know, rugby existed in that domain. We're all public school teachers now um, and Richard and I have, have done our best to get rugby going. You, you can't. It is well, so comically dead in the public school system um and you know at best the tiles will throw you out a couple of 19 year olds who can't speak to kids to run a seminar Uh, and rich and i just make eye contact with us like what is going on here Um, and rugby sevens there was a brief moment where you could get seven kids you could convince seven leagueies or kids who didn't make the league team to give rugby a go Um, but it's it's yeah it's astounding. So any any attempt from rugby to get into Western Sydney or Southern Sydney um, is is it like I, I guess just from where we're sitting, would would you echo that, Richard? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it comes back to one big thing though as well is that if a Wallaby team is successful, um, I think it, it attracts um, a hu- a bigger audience. And once you've got that bigger audience, they need the pathways, whether that's um, coaches coming into schools, whether that's uh, transport being taken to those clubs, whatever it may be, um, I think is is valuable. Um, and I think other codes do it better at the moment, and I'm sorry to say that, um, just from mm-hmm. the people that we've had into our high school. But we've got kids who are interested, but it still needs to be improved upon. Is that something rugby is? I know it's a, it's lip service, right? It's a killer line, and, and every group or advocate wants to say they're arguing for grassroots, but, but does... Is there any action on that front? Well, there have been cutbacks with development officers and that that's hurt, hasn't it? Yeah. And, I mean, getting into schools is everything, as we know. I'm fascinated by, you know, you guys are teachers. Like, what sports are? What, what, what cuts through? One of the ones that one of the ones that is the probably the fastest growing in our area where we teach is actually football or soccer is actually continuing to to grow and AFL. 
Rugby league has taken a, st- a step back. AFL makes so much ground. It blows my mind. Uh, rugby league is, is every conversation that kids have, um, but there's actually not that many that I guess have the, the gumption to play it. Um, but it's certainly that controls the corridors. In terms of kids on the field, I'd say basketball, AFL and soccer. Yeah, I'm going to go with you there. Basketball has completely taken over. I used to work at one of the sports high schools in the state and um, rug- the rugby union sport program there was a waiting bay until rugby league let you in um, for the boys. So they used to not make the league program, get into the school on the union program because it was anyone with a pulse, and um, and then they would wait out their turn. And we'd play them and lose 100 nil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, play them and lose 100 nil because they're all freaks. And I started the girls' rugby program at that school on the bat of, you know, the Rio Olympics yeah. and so forth. There was genuine momentum in girls' rugby, the sevens format, and they were super keen to play. Once again, a really large Polynesian um, cohort sort of interested in playing, and we would travel to Granville and play all the other sport high schools, and their families would come, and it would be an awesome day. But it just never felt like there was a next step. You know, the Waratahs had a presence. Um, the girls who played each other had a had a community of their own. They all knew each other. They played for like the magic magic rugby out at Randwick. They have a really good development program with yeah. some awesome opportunities. But um, they just never they just never seemed to be another step for them. And then what happened to these girls is. The rugby league's team started a Tasha Gale comp, mm-hmm. games in which they could fund, which they could, um, you know, potentially make some money out of. They were signing contracts. They were getting merchandise. They were showing up with all the gear and, and feeling like someone and part of a community and part of a club. Mm-hmm. And that was just way too big of a carrot. And then I eventually turned the girls' rugby union into a girls' rugby union slash league. And then, um, so it grew in numbers and I, you know, pushed in as much as I could, but it just doesn't have the pathways, you know, that Harold Matts, you've got the under twenties program, all of these things, those kids are getting paid. Those kids are walking around mm. with a really mm. big mm. You know, sense of pride on their shoulders that. It's identity. I think, I think it's identity. It's a sense of identity for young people and league can provide that because it's got a profile. And they're getting that in the private school system. They're getting that. Yeah. James, that's fascinating what you say about your young um, women's uh, rugby union team because I think that that is one of the greatest tragedies in rugby Australian rugby history is the fact in 2016 we won that gold medal and what happened next was not good enough. Like well, I know the girls turned up to Tokyo this year and they didn't perform as they wanted to. But there was a real moment to capitalise on that, wasn't there? Mm. And yet yeah. now you've got obviously the rise of NRLW, AFLW, but it could have been so great. And I think mm. it's my understanding at one point, I think there may have been an idea around a women's sevens televised national competition, but that didn't go ahead. And yeah. It was what they, Aon, Aon sevens program, that was, that was as big as it got, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah, I think so. That's about it. I think that was uni- across universities, across states. That to me is also incredibly disappointing. I just, those those missed opportunities for young women and, and yeah, I don't know. There's a little bit of history repeating there, right? We have an awesome experience that galvanises people to the sport and then it just sort of seems mismanaged and we're back where we were, knocking on Twiggy's door. Yeah. 
So, yeah, that's what I, was I guess to come full circle, if there's any private equity that, that gives a shit about the punters and the schools and the kids and the Pacific Islander kids, have them, give them the reins because we, we want to see it thrive. We see what it does when you get a bunch of kids in a rugby program and they learn the game and they love the game um, and they learn the ethics and, and the sportsmanship and all the awesome stuff that comes with it. Um, I don't care who's controlling the purse strings and what RM Williams they're wearing. Um, it's all good. <laughs> I mean, uh, the other thing I want to know, like from a fan's perspective, like so much uh, in in doing that podcast, the amount of like, you know, uh, New South Wales versus Queensland crap was incredible. Like all those old wounds. Well, Jess, I'm going to be honest, from a fan's perspective, we don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just the next game. And so hearing yeah. these old men carry on about it is just like, shut up. Who is playing on the weekend? Yeah, it's fascinating. I just, <laughs> I just, I don't know. Like, I was just like, oh, that's Queensland. No, that's New South Wales stuff that up. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and from us, it's like we didn't even know those petty inner office machinations were occurring. Mm. We just thought Sunny Bill wanted to play for New Zealand. We didn't know that no one rang him. Yeah. Like I just, yeah, just those things are just mind-blowing. But I guess I guess we're sounding a bit neg because on the whole, um, I've really had uh, just one of the funnest seasons as a rugby fan. And, and Jim's come on here with his guitar singing about it. Um, we're, we're up and about. Five on the trot. The Super Rugby AU was was just brilliant. I think there is a lot to celebrate. Oh, totally. I mean, there is absolutely a light at the end of the tunnel of all this. Like, and I think those five wins in a row said so much, didn't they? And look, it, it, we beat England. It's all worth it. Yeah, yeah. It's That's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a tough match. Come on, Jess. Put your money where your mouth is. Where does the run finish? You're at five at the moment. You got Scotland. You got England, you got Wales, yeah. then you got England three in a row. That this this could go this could go huge. It could get to double figures, or it could end on Saturday against Scotland. Where put your money where your mouth is? Because you, the three of us, the three know. of us, you can. You, I tell you where we sit. We're we're a, I know we're, where we're, we're hyperbolists at the best of time. So you're the most sane one out of the three of us. Where's your money going? Uh, I think it might end. Oh, Scotland. I just think it's. Just- I think you've got a lot of you've got three rattled players not playing, and I don't know. I and, and Samu, like, hello, like, yeah, just an incredible player, and he's not there. But I don't know. look. Look, why don't I just who who knows? Maybe everyone it'll be fine. <laughs> Do you know what Blake? Blake and Jim have got a ready-made excuse now, though. If you lose to Scotland or England or Wales, oh, don't have what Johnson's yeah, fault. Yeah, all Johnson's fault. Don't don't have Karevi. <laughs> Yeah, don't have, uh... Dude, Scotland has turned into a little bit of a bogey team for us. It's never the the whitewash I'm used to. Scott Johnson used to be the director of rugby there, didn't he? Or coach there? He's got some intel now. Uh, yeah, director of rugby, I yeah. believe. He has had that many cushy jobs, that bloke. Hasn't he? Just one Just the one other. not coaching job after another, that lucky bastard. I know. Um, I would say on the, on the Samu thing, I think, yes, um, but I, I've got a bit of confidence in Hunter. I think he was just brilliant all Super Rugby season, and he was great against the yeah. All Blacks. And I think, look, he was he was pretty average against Japan, but he'd never ever played with Quaid. He'd never ever played with Ikitao. 
Um, I think it's pretty hard to judge him on that performance. I, you know, I, I've got a bit of hope there at 12. Yep. And I think him yep. and O'Connor have got a combination. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I, the fullback's a problem, though. Mm. What do you guys think about, you know, Kirtley Beal possibly coming back? Um, again, I just love it. I love the theatre. I love the drama. I love an Indigenous player playing for Australia. Mm. Um, he clearly has the talent minus the tackling. Mm. Um, and, and from what I've seen the highlights overseas, he looks like he's still doing his thing. Um, so I just like the drama and the theatre. And, look, we, we, we don't have a 15. Yeah. We genuinely don't. Um, and we probably need a second playmaker at 15 with James O'Connor at 10 and Paisami at 12. So I don't know. What do you reckon, Jim? Richard, what do you reckon? Dude, I, I like it. Much like you, I just love the fairy tale, tale stories. And it sounds like it'll be a successful tour for him too. I mean, three rather simple games for us, I think. I think I think we'll win quite convincingly. Um, but just him returning to the squad and it's got to be in his interests to play at the next World Cup. And if he is serious about that, then this is a no-brainer, isn't it? This is a no-brainer. Come and play these three groups. Join the squad. Come off the bench, which, in my opinion, was his best position. Whenever he came off the bench, proper game changer. I wouldn't throw the 15 on his back straight up. That's way too much pressure. I think we have to also remember, sorry, just interjecting that point. When he, when he played some of his best best rugby for the Wallabies, that was off the back of his Wasps experience before. So getting into that, that, that system of playing well, getting away from Australian rugby, maybe he's coming into this at the right time. He's coming in. He's, he's left the Tars. I know I love the Tars, but he's left them. He's left a, a culture that maybe that needs to change. He's now into a winning one. He's into a more positive mindset. Maybe he's going to bring something different. Maybe he's going to um, excel in that position. And I agree with Jim. Off the bench, broken field, uh, at the end of a game, he is so dynamic. You know, he, he's such a maverick, which I think he needs to be celebrated. And you know what else we're seeing is, is Rennie, whatever he's doing, he's getting short-term impact from these old guard players. He's Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's a bit of the, it's like when you're covering someone else's class, it's the rock star shift. Exactly. You just pop in, give it your everything. Get out. Carve up like a Christmas turkey and push on. I mean, that was it when we were doing bar work. You used to miss the, miss the setup, rock up, leave just before everyone cleaned up and you were the best. <laughs> the best. It's a no-brainer. Yeah. I think, you know, the Three Amigos journey from what, what was it, like 2009, 2010? Was that when they were like a bit off off the rails, the three of them? Yeah, there's this one Melbourne Rebels season. I think I said that on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. It's kind of mind-blowing how little rugby they've, they've ever played together at this level. I, but also, what a, I mean, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be negative, but what a loss. Like it says to you, what was going on then that we let these three incredible players slip away like could you imagine if they had been fostered and looked after properly and you're all you know obviously they had discipline problems and but so most young blokes on a million dollars who get hit in the head for a living do yeah yeah and yeah and I mean James O'Connor shows so much insight around that time now and he's kind of had this radical kind of spiritual awakening and and he candidly talks about being thrown in that jail cell in Paris. Um, but I don't know. And I found rugby fans were a bit holier than they are with him too. They wanted, like, people loved his downfall. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did too. Yeah. Do you think um, it was because they were too much of a maverick as well? They didn't conform to the... Uh 
uh, to what the coach wanted to wanted them at the time as well? No. Nah. I reckon it's much simpler. It, it came down to the blonde tints. People just rubbed people <laughs> the wrong way. <laughs> we didn't did it? We did. <laughs> um, well, Jess, <laughs> no Ghetto pulled it yeah, off. Yeah, he, looked, he wore yeah. a gear, that's why. Um, <laughs> Got a law named after him. <laughs> uh, well, Jess, we don't want to take any more of your time. Um, I guess I just wanted to say on behalf of all of us, thanks so much. For, for giving us an hour mm. and having a yarn with us. If you ever want to come back on, um, we'd love to have you with open arms. I think everyone who listens will agree that this is the most they've ever learned. <laughs> no, 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 he's serious. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, thanks, Blake, and thanks, Richard, and thank you, James, for having me on. I'm by no, you know, my, no stretch a rugby expert, but I... I am very interested in how this is all played out and I only hope it gets better. Um, I tell you, we've been professional. We normally call Richard Dick, so we've all classed it up today. Um, and, you, and that's just for you, Jess. Can, can you come every week, Jess? I've, I've been respected this week. I've yeah. been listened to. It's just been nice. Doesn't normally happen. <laughs> oh, so all right. Well, cheers. Thanks. Yeah, for thanks, thanks Jess. Really appreciate your time. Thank no you. No worries. All right. Cool. Cool. Thanks, guys. Take Thank care. you. Thank I'll you so soon. much. Yeah.